0: On this episode, I interview the founder of a direct-to-consumer subscription food business for dogs. Amazing business, fast growth. Do stay tuned. Get involved, join me, and let's put some fuel to skyrocket your e-commerce growth. do inbound marketing strategies as you beat Amazon. Natural search and our search engine position is critical to the customer flow through the website. I personally would not have an account process interrupt checkout flow at all. My favorite customer lifetime value calculation is an easy one. It's your average order value times that purchase frequency times uh, your customer lifespan. I'm Kanae Campbell. Let's get rolling. If you're looking to grow your business, there's only one way by building real quality customer relationships. Most marketing software will claim they can do this, but will never deliver on their promises. You need to demand more from your marketing software. And that's where Klaviyo comes in. Klaviyo helps you build meaningful customer relationships by listening and understanding cues from your customers, allowing you to easily turn that information into valuable marketing messages. That is why 10,000 innovative brands have switched to Klaviyo. What's the secret to building customer relationships? Tune in to Klaviyo's Beyond Black Friday docuseries to find out and unlock marketing strategies you can use to keep momentum going year round. Just head over to klaviyo.com forward slash beyond BF for more. That's Clavio.com forward slash beyond Welcome welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. This is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. Now, if you're looking to grow metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, traffic and ultimately sales, you are on the right show. I love to bring, you know, experts who have been in the trenches, who have the necessary experience to share their growth you know um, stories, and um, you know inspire you guys to to take action. On today's show, um, it's it's really really interesting and special. Um, we delve into the pet market, you know, again, and this is a very very interesting brand. they um, they're in the human grade food niche within the pet industry, and um, they they They've been active for for the last three years now I would think oh no, actually two thousand and sixteen They founded in two thousand and sixteen so it's so a lot longer three 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 plus years and um yeah they they're they're, they're they're a player to to reckon with now um in this thirty billion dollar you know market in in the united states um it's a company called Ollie. And um, I think the major um, slogan is um, healthier food for healthier dogs. So, so they're, 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 they really want to put in longevity into you know, every dog's life. Um, without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show the founder, um, Gabby. Welcome, Gabby.
1: Thanks for having me
0: chairs um could you I probably haven't done you you know sufficient justice in um introducing you and you know ollie as a brand could you take um a minute or you know slightly more to to introduce yourself and 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 the brand ollie
1: Sure, absolutely. So, I am one of the co founders of Ollie and I run product and all marketing at Ollie. Um, Before Ollie, I've been at a number of startups, um, both direct to consumer and retail startups back in the flash sale world. And Ollie, as you mentioned, is a human grade dog food. We ship it direct to consumers and we customize it for your individual dog. So, we take in your dog's information. Age, weight, breed, activity level, any allergies, and we recommend a formula and send you the exact amount that you need to eat that your dog needs to eat. Excuse me, on a regular basis. Um, so we try and make it as easy as possible for you to feed your dog a food that you can feel really good about.
0: Interesting. So it's 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 actually customizable. So um so it's it's not just box standard packages. Um, I with is, is, is that what you're saying in terms yeah, of yeah
1: it's. It's personalized for your dog's individual needs. So we sort of saw four main issues with the pet food industry, which is why we came up with Ollie. So, half of them were sort of around the actual product itself, the food, and the other half was around the experience for the customer. So on the food side, we thought that we saw that the quality of the food in traditional dog food, your can and your kibbles that you can find in sort of a typical grocery or pet food store um, is really low quality ingredients. So it's classified as feed, not food, which means it's not safe for human consumption. Um, It is, you know, the traditional or scary words of four Ds, which is the dead, dying, diseased, and disabled animals that don't make it into our food supply chain, make it into the dog's food supply chain. It's the scraps and sort of leftovers. It's Mm -hmm. the rotting meat, as well as produce that then goes into these rendering plants that then end up in dog food. And so they're using low quality ingredients to begin with, and they're using a system that's you know, somewhat antiquated, which is big box retailers and that sort of distribution. So they have to create a shelf stable product. So they take the ingredients, they cook them at extremely high temperatures, which zaps a lot of the nutrients to get that shelf stability as well as for food safety reasons, because they're using low quality ingredients and often rancid meat. Um, and then this creates a sort of dehydrated product that they then have to put back in supplements for to get nutritional adequacy, a bunch of artificial flavoring so the dogs will eat it, and then additional preservatives so it has shell stability. So you're left with sort of a low-quality product with artificial supplementation, which really isn't biologically appropriate for your dog. And that was sort of what we were trying to solve on the actual physical product side of creating a, a higher-quality food that is biologically appropriate for your dog, that's high in protein, that's all-natural, that is fresh, um, you know, similarly to how we feel better when we eat well, so do dogs. And so we have noticed in the market, there's an increased spend in personal care and vet care and all these extras for your dog, but the attention on preventative medicine hasn't been there to date. Um, and then on the tech side, to your point around the customization, we wanted to sort of do a 2.0, what we consider direct-to-consumer. You know, the early direct-to-consumer businesses were really, hey, it's the same product, but we cut out the middleman, and therefore you can get a discount on this product, and we're giving it to you at 50% off, 80% off, whatever it is of what you're used to paying in the retail stores. And we believe that we can not only offer better quality, but a better experience because we know you, and therefore we know your dog. And it's really not a one-size-fits-all. In traditional pet food, you'll see at the back of the bag, there'll be uh, feeding guidelines that's based on sort of loose weight ranges. So if your dog is between 5 and 20 pounds, 20 to 40 pounds, 40 to 60, etc., and recommends a dosage, a right amount of food, but you know your your really lazy 10-pound dog who's overweight shouldn't be fed the same amount as your hyperactive 15-dog, um, and so we wanted to take a more personalized approach that if we know what your dog needs and we can feed it better and give you the peace of mind that you're doing the right thing. And studies show that if you keep your dog at an ideal weight, as opposed to um, even a little bit overweight, you can add 20% to their life, which is quite significant. So you know, what pet parent doesn't want more time with their beloved animal?
0: super interesting um so so you know um it, it just sounds like the the current you know pet industry in general you know is heavily you know dependent on uh, on, on um on processed food
1: yeah. And, um,
0: you know, um, you know, brands like Ollie are, are coming to, to change, you know, um, you know, change that narrative really and, and, and add longevity to, 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 tog's lives, which, which is super interesting. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great problem to, 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 to solve. Okay. So let's, um, you know, let, let's step back a little bit and, um, let, let's talk about your background. You're a Columbia, um, you know, business school, you know, graduate, you you're an MBA. Um, you know, person and um, you, you worked in, in startups. Um, you know, so so could you just shed a little bit of, you know, um light into your startup, you know, um experience and um, to, to, to the audience.
1: Sure. So um I guess I should start with I used to be an equestrian, so I did show jumping at a Uh, fairly competitive and professional level Mm -hmm. Um, so animal kingdom comes full circles the horse Mm -hmm. people are naturally dog people so i always Mm -hmm. had dogs and so much attention was paid to what our horses were eating and um, because they were competing Mm -hmm. animals that um, we were all constantly looking at how do we optimize their their diet so they can perform their best and You know, when I stopped riding, I sort of fell into startups quite honestly. Um, My first job was at a streetwear e commerce site called Loop out of Boston, um, where I uh, helped with a women merchandising team and then eventually launched their off price um, vertical within the company and ran that for a few years. Worked at another bigger startup, also in the Flash sales site, which is a joint venture between American Express and Von Privé, which was the original Flash site out of Europe and sort of ran their men's division there and, um, you know, continued to look around and felt like, hey, this is nice and great, successful business, but I want to do something that I feel sort of more passionate about, that I feel that I have more ownership over the general vision and um, is actually sort of making a difference and a little bit more impactful Um, than selling clothing. And so I went to business school as sort of a way to, A, like take the time to figure out what I wanted to do, but also um, having been at startups from the get-go, felt like there were some learnings that I sort of, was maybe doing offices in my pants, but didn't know the true sort of foundational original way to think about those problems, like financial modeling and and stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. I took that time and really honed on those skills at business school. Um, and then after that, um, ended up joining another startup. Actually, while I was in business school, sort of in between my first and second year, I started helping a direct-to-consumer baby and kids wear company. Um, and sort of stuck with it for a while through my second year and a little bit after, um, which was great because I had always been on sort of the retail side, selling other mm-hmm. people's brands. And it was a great opportunity to see how mm-hmm. to build the brand for the first time and what that takes. And, you know, that was a very typical startup story of when I started helping them. We were working out of a coffee shop. Um, at our desks and then moved into WeWork and then moved into our first office. So sort of got to see that playbook. I've had a lot to transition, yeah. extremely helpful and was able to lean on that learning when I eventually started Ollie. Um, but yeah, once I got them off the ground and they were sort of at a nice running pace, really sort of said, hey, I went to business school to want to do my own thing. And this has been amazing, but I need to stick true to that. That original goal, um, and so went to a venture fund, Primary Ventures, as an entrepreneur in residence to sort of dig into ideas that I was interested in, and it was great that I had sort of investors around the table poking holes in di- the ideas, uh, connecting me with different companies that might be thinking around similar problems and how they dealt with that, and um, that sort of where. Yeah. Um,
0: for listeners um, who, who are not aware of the concept of an entrepreneur in residence, could, could you please um, you know, um, explain what, what that means in a venture um, company?
1: Yeah. So it can take a few different forms. For me, it was... Um, honestly, they were giving me space and time to figure out what I wanted to start. They sort of approached me and through our conversation and said, we believe that you can start a company. And... You know, I said I don't have my idea yet, and. Um, the structure was that they would help sort of me figure out what the idea was and gave me some, so I didn't have to go out and do an angel round. They gave some seed or sort of pre-seed investment to help validate the idea, do some research on it, talk to some experts and hire some advisors around the table to figure out the, I'd never done dog food, just sort of figure out the dog food side. Um, And then when it came time to raise our... um, our seed, and seed round, it was great because we weren't just going with a deck. We were going with a deck and a product and the right people around the table. And it was because of their initial funding that allowed us to do that. And so we probably raised a, a much bigger seed round than we would have otherwise. And that support was sort of instrumental at the beginning. And then they also participated in our seed round and have continued to participate in subsequent rounds.
0: Okay. So, so what was the product validation process? Like I, I can imagine in, in that kind of environment, it was quite thorough.
1: Sure. So a lot of it was um, researching current Well, doing research on what was out there. So looking at Fresh Pet and their, um, you know, their public companies to sort of piling through their with their financial statements and figuring out what aspect of their business sort of was translatable for us. Um, looking more into the market and other companies, you know, there are, while not the same, other freeze-dried companies, like a big question mark for us was around price point and how do we make that work. And a lot of that validation was talking to private equity funds and looking at other businesses that, um, you know, if you look at a freeze-dried business, it is much more expensive than us and they are you know multiple players at multiple $100 million businesses. So that mm-hmm. was a lot of that market validation. And then it was looking at uh, talking to customers and doing a lot of research, talking to experts around how to produce the product. Um, but what, what some cost assumptions around that, and then actually going and making it and putting it in front of customers and testing them and and seeing it. And we put up sort of vapor testing around a fake website and user testing around that. And so there was a ton of extensive research before we launched around mm. what we call it and how we price it and and what is the um, customer journey and flow. Mm.
0: Well, what did it cost um, the the validation initial validation?
1: Um, so the initial value I mean, depending on which point you tried to be scrappy about it, yes. uh, but it was all in all a couple hundred thousand.
0: Okay. All right. And then you went on to raise, um, your first seed, which was about 5 million or so, uh,
1: foreign change in terms of our venture, um, investment. And then we raised additional okay. debt equity on top of that.
0: Okay. So what's the, the valuation now of, of the company, Raleigh?
1: Um, So the valuation is not publicly shared information, Um, but we have grown 500% since, since we launched almost three years ago. Now Um, we are national in the United States and have customers um, in every state, except for we don't ship to Hawaii. Alaska
0: yes it's phenomenal the um with the growth levels in in this space and you know um especially you know when you know an industry is convoluted and has you know glaring problems and if you you know when you focus on you know customer experience and quality as you alluded to earlier you know you know you can make a dent in in the industry and you know people just customers just you know have that with, with what you're doing, it's it's almost like a movement, really. You
1: think about yeah, it. I mean, we say every day, which is true. We're um, we're not selling dog food; we're selling baby food, and so wow. people That's have cool. a real emotional attachment to their pets and want to do
0: absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so so let's 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 swiftly move into growth. You know, um, so so how did you, you know, those product validation, um, those cash, you know, to to execute. Um, you had your team. Um so what did your your um, initial team look like and you know what was your remit in, in year 1
1: Yeah so our initial team was Um, was lean. So we had um, myself and one other person on the marketing team from an acquisition standpoint, helping run the paid marketing. Um, We had someone who oversaw our content and our blog. Um, We had one customer service, um, which we call our canine care team, who is now the head of that team. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we had our CTO and one engineer. So we were really lean at the beginning. since then, we've, we've tried to remain lean going forward. But um, you know, the idea is to work really smart and try and find efficient ways to grow our business, both from my you know money out the door advertising perspective, but also you know making sure that our team is structured properly and not you know overgrowing the team too fast, and making sure that every person feels still feels mm-hmm. connected to exactly what they're doing and how that's affecting the overall. overall business.
0: Yeah. Um, so I can imagine that the first year, you know, it was very acquisition focused, you know, you're trying to get your, your confidence in the product. You're like, you know, um, this is good quality. Um, and, um, you know, um, if people try it, you know, um, that there'll be longevity here. So, um, how did you connect, you know, acquisition with retention, your acquisition goals with your retention goals?
1: Absolutely. So, um, our first, year technically on the company was working on the products. We spent a year working on both the physical and digital experience. Um, and I think people under, undermine that part of this when they're like, I'm going to start a company and I'm going to launch it. Like How long it takes to actually get to launch um, shouldn't be underestimated because we didn't want to go out until we felt really confident in our product. And I will say that we moved our launch date twice in that pursuit. Um, yeah. We thought we were going to launch in the late sort of early spring then it was late spring then it was summer and it ended up being fall so
0: 2016
1: yeah um so just for people listening don't you know (laughs) there's there's definitely a, a analysis paralysis where you can go overboard before getting any product out there but there is a fine line of um you know rushing to market with a product that you don't feel great about. So mm-hmm. not to say we haven't continued iterating, but feel really good about the comp- product you're putting out there because that ultimately, no matter what else you do, no matter how great your marketing is, no matter how great your other areas of your business might be or your margin profile, like ultimately, whether or not the customer likes the product is going to be what makes or breaks you.
0: And then you're um, talking so, about like the physical and digital, you know, um, yes. you know experience and you really, they yes. all have to be good.
1: Both products. The digital one even probably took a little bit longer, actually. Mm. So that was sort of the first year. Then, when we launched, our first year of launch was definitely focused on the acquisition side. And initially, we did not focus on paid marketing. We wanted to, you know, rode the wave of PR. We had a great PR agency that was helping us at the beginning. We felt like because education was going to be so key to um, people understanding why Ollie and why they should choose it, we thought that. Uh, PR would be a great way for the press to sort of help tell that story and for people to learn about it through trusted sources as their first touchpoint. So we made a big push on that. And then we also made a big influencer push. um, And that was working with influencers that had dogs. Some of them were the dogs themselves were the influencers, <laughs> yeah. and they became our early adopters of Ollie. Um, we sent them product before we launched. They had been using it for a little while. They were giving us feedback, and then when we actually launched the product, it was great because they were able to speak with authority around the fact that their dog had been on it, been on our food for a little while, and this is were the results that they had seen. And again, sort of a trusted source that. Telling people about their experience, who you know they write maybe already telling them about what other products they use, and they hadn't talked about dog food before, so it was they had sort of a very trusted audience in that way. So that was sort of our initial um, foray into customer acquisition. We also did um, a bunch of sampling, um, myself and my co founder would go to events, be it dog fashion show, a adoption event, or honestly just going to Central Park on a Saturday morning and handing out samples to dog parents walking and walking their dogs, um, just to sort of get product out there and sort of seeing what their reaction was, what questions they asked, and sort of use that information to sort of spin that into how we marketed when we eventually turned on paid information, right? Um, and using those questions and being able to answer those questions within our marketing. And so when we turned on our our paid marketing, we felt like we had a, a good sense of what customers would want to hear and what they needed to know in order to click. So our first... That was sort of our first... I would call it... Five, six months, and then we started looking at retention. After that, you know, until we had enough customers coming in, it was hard to know to get enough sort of statistical significance on why people were leaving. But what we did do also in the early days was I myself and one of my co-founders spent. Um, we had a block time of around four hours on Wednesday afternoon where we just called customers, customers that were still with us, customers that had canceled, and just talked to them. What do you love about our product? What do you hate about our product? What could we be doing better? What you know? What would you like to see? What draw? What made you st- try our product in the first place? What made you cancel? And sort of just gathering that information, we've been very data driven from day one, um, and then we've turned that into how we're running our retention program. So whether it's oh they didn't know that they can actually add more than one recipe, or changing it, turning it into product that. People want to be able to move their box around more freely or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. Really using that information to drive product decisions and communication decisions to help drive um, customer retention. Yeah.
0: Did, did any of that information go back to like um, product improvement or um, to the physical you know, experience side of, um, of, of Audi?
1: Absolutely. So, on the physical side, we make all of our physical decisions off of customer data. So, we launched, we started with just chicken and beef. Um, people wanted more variety. So, we launched a turkey, turkey and lamb recipes. Um, they also wanted snacks because, you know, they're, if they're feeding their dog healthy food, they uh-huh. also wanted to give them healthy snacks. So, we launched a snack line um, based on customer demand. Um, We also found that people wanted to, initially we didn't have mixed recipes and it was just you picked what protein you wanted and that was what you got and people wanted variety per box. So we launched the ability to add multiple recipes per box. Um, We really look at our customers as creating sort of this 360 feedback loop around what they want to see in our product and having that drive product direction and then getting additional feedback from them in the same way that we are trying to provide that feedback for their dogs and their health. So, for example, if they start on one plan and we're getting feedback from them, their dog is gaining weight or losing weight or isn't doing as well as we, um, you know, would want on that protein that we're then being proactive and offering them suggestions on how to change their plan to get sort of the most out of their dog and see the most
0: health benefits. Interesting. Super interesting. So the first six months of, of, um, of launch, were, you know, was very PR and influencer, you know, focused. And then um, all of the learnings there was used to craft your PPC campaigns, your, your paid, you know, um, you know, marketing campaigns yeah. by six months. And then when you hit statistical significance within six and nine months, you started to look at retention.
1: Yeah.
0: uh, Yeah, I mean,
1: we looked at retention from day one in in terms of like what are people getting the feedback from people, Mm -hmm. and if people are canceling, why are they canceling, and Mm -hmm. you know, does it seem like that's an, an outlier or does that seem like that makes sense to change the product accordingly? It's not like we didn't look at retention or think about it or do things about it, but um, really tracking it and putting goals around what our retention curve should look like weren't until sort of after six months. Mm.
0: And then um, what kind of retention cohorts are you looking um, at now? Um, what, what kind of cost, cost of my lifetime you know, um, value cohort um, is, is a focus now in the business?
1: Yeah so we're really happy with where our retention is I mean you know, obviously we continue to strive to see how we can do better. You know, no business has a hundred percent retention. Even no. if you look at a business like Starbucks or McDonald's or any other huge business. There's people that walk into Starbucks once and never come back. There's people that used to go every day and then another coffee shop opens around the corner and they become loyal to this other shop. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a subscription business, you have both the benefit and the, um, unfortunate magnifying glass on retention in a way that potentially other businesses don't that think about just sort of repeat purchases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's really about why people like we look at it between re- what is preventable churn and unpreventable churn. So preventable churn are things like, well, my, You know, the plan didn't work for me or I needed a, my dog, you know, unpreventable is my dog needs a prescription diet. We don't offer prescription diets right now. Right now, like until we do this, that's unpreventable churn. But it's a, well, I didn't know that I, you know, the health benefits of this and that's, well, we can educate you around why do we have peas and carrots in our food? And why is it visible? Whereas it might not be visible in your kibble and why is that the case? And sort of educating them around that. Or my dog got tired of this recipe. Oh, well, we can solve that. We can send you another recipe. Oh, I didn't know we can switch. Or Mm -hmm. I'm traveling. So we implemented a way to set temporary addresses so that your food gets where you are going before you even get there and is there waiting for you with your dogs. You don't have to worry about traveling it. So that's sort of the way we've done retention is what are the things that we can change and therefore how do we lift the retention curve? And what are the things that maybe we can't prevent or types of customers that are maybe are not right for Ollie and therefore we don't target them.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. Okie dokie. Um, so from a, um, so, so from a marketing and a, a growth perspective, what, what's been the most effective channel in the paid, um, media side of things?
1: Yeah. On the paid media side of things from a scalability, definitely, um, social channels have been, um, the best inter- I mean, they're the, have the biggest scale. And so you're able to access tons of customers really, really quickly. Mm. Um, and so that's been sort of our, a big focus of us on the social channels. We also use search um, as sort of our secondary, um, probably our second biggest channel. You have, can get the intent of the customer, what they're looking for. If they're looking yeah. for healthy dog food or grain-free dog food or dog food delivery, those are things that we can go after and catch them while they're looking. Um, yeah. But it is really a combination of not just um, advertising on those paid channels, but what do we do after they've come to our site and learned about us and maybe haven't purchased? And how do we continue to engage with the customer to get them through that paid?
0: Is, is that where email kicks in? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have
1: a ton of focus around our email marketing campaigns and, you know, that we get, do testing around when do we send the emails and which emails and in what order and how do you personalize the emails to make it most relevant to you and your dog and what you're looking for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very, very important. And I guess you have different email funnels for, um, for different kinds of um, prospects and customers. Yes. Um, yeah, makes sense. Um, so do you have a retention person, you know, on, you know, who's, who's, um, whose job is to manage all the emails?
1: Yeah. So we have, um, right now there's emails are owned by both our acquisition and our retention team. So on the acquisition side, um, they are the ones working on the emails of when we get a customer, when the customer comes to the site, but doesn't complete a purchase, what is the information that they need in order to complete that purchase. So they own Mm -hmm. that side of the um, customer email side. And then, then we have someone who we, works on retention and overall customer experience. Um, and he works on the emails of, once you become a customer, um, what is the continued information that you need to know? So yeah. everything from the first box of, how do I use this product? And how do I store this product? And what do I need if I need to make changes? He also runs the product side around your account page and your logged-in experience. And how do we continue to make that engaging and easy for a customer to use as well?
0: Yeah, that that's super important. Okay, yeah, so yeah, um,
1: hiring a um in the process of looking to hire someone that specifically handles email for both sides. and that's become such an important channel in and of itself that it needs a person to own it end to end. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, um, what about affiliates? Do, do you do you know do affiliates you know um help in in any way? Affiliates. Yes, affiliates. Yes.
1: So we do work with affiliates. Um. There's sort of different types of affiliates. We have like our influencers that um, are sort of different levels of influencers. Some are just we send product in exchange for them doing posts about us, and that's sort of just a brand marketing. Um, but we consider that, you know, that becomes a cactus of how many boxes do we send to this person mm-hmm. and how many customers are they giving? Like that's a cost in and of itself. Um, but there are affiliates that we use too, like bloggers or or people on YouTube that we go through different, there are different channels that you can use um, in the U S we use share sale or commission junction. Um, and you can set up campaigns on those so that affiliates can find you. And it's great because, you know, unlike social channels where you're paying sort of on a CPM or CPC basis affiliates, you work on a cost per acquisition. So yeah. they are, you know, it's a low risk channel to, to work with. Um, from that perspective as well. So it's a Absolutely. great channel.
0: Absolutely. And um, what were what your targets, what were what your CPAs like now um, in, in general across the board, your CAC?
1: Yeah, so we look at CAC um, based on a lot of different factors. For us, we're really focused on the CAC to LTV. Um, and so it's not just about how much to be paid for a customer. It's about how long are they, are they staying with us for, through that channel um, or through that marketing effort. Um, So we're building longevity for our business, and not just you know anyone can buy customers and buy traffic. But we want to make sure that we're buying, we're advertising to the right type of customers who are going to have longevity on our traffic. And you know we are trying to get more sophisticated around what is our allowable CAC for different channels and different types of customers and different dog sizes, even because you know the thing about us on different, very different from any other business, whereas if you buy a small or a large shirt, you know, it's still the same cost to you and generally fairly the same cost from the company from a manufacturing standpoint. Or if you're selling a, you know, if you're Blue Apron and you're selling a dinner, it's the same dinner for the same person. For us, our five pound chihuahua versus our 200 pound, you know, Doberman or Great Dane um, has a very different customer profile because they're ordering such... Different amounts of foods and a different average order value, so we have to look at that in consideration of our marketing spend as well.
0: That's a very, very good point. Um, you know, customers are worth differently to, to yourselves, and based on dog size.
1: Yeah, it's an it's, it's an interesting dynamic. It is,
0: it, it is indeed. Yeah,
1: it's and amazing. we have two customers too, and that sort of always goes into our both our marketing and our physical product. Right, we have to please right. both, so we can have a food that looks you know, looks amazing and smells delicious. But if the Mm -hmm. dog doesn't like it, then it doesn't matter what the owner thinks. And conversely, we can make a food that's delicious. And if it doesn't look appealing to the customer, then we're not gonna, to the customer being pet parent, we're not gonna win them over either. And that was sort of a lot of the research in the early days too, was we're asking you to keep your dog food in your fridge next to your food. You know, my dog, my dog Poncho, his food sits on the same shelf as my my baby's food, honestly, my my two legged baby with my four legged <laughs> baby That's them all. <laughs> is now in the same fridge and so creating, you know, for us, it wasn't just the food, but it's what's the packaging that it comes in and how to create yeah. that experience of people. You know, when we went into people's homes, we were kind of surprised to see people had open cans of dog food sitting there with the spoon still in it. And, you know, that's not sanitary for them or their dog and it doesn't sort of create freshness. And so we send a little pup container, as we call it, with our food um, so that it keeps it fresh longer as well.
0: Okay. And yeah, I I can imagine, um, yeah, you, because you're essentially like ready-made food for, for dogs. And, um, yes. yeah, so you have to cover it, you know, at least when you has to be more to use, I, I would, I would think. So would you, does it need to go into microwave or, um, to do, do you warm the food?
1: It doesn't. So you can, um, freeze it. And then you, you just put it in your fridge, you know, for 24 hours and it thaws 24. out.
0: Okay, to the, the answer. Okay, um, so I guess in your in your social targeting, you'd just be looking for Great Danes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, not not necessarily no. because yeah. you know yeah. Great Danes are also it's it, for us a big expense of shipping. So it's a lot of food to ship. Well. So <laughs> we've tried to work out our business so that we have um you know we're we can be somewhat neutral from a margin perspective. But yes, Great Danes have a have a high. Value in terms of the volume of food that they are purchasing. Yeah,
0: well, not necessarily, you know, um, economical from from a shipping perspective, as you said. Yeah. Okay. Okie dokie. Um. So, final question before we get into our um our, our lightning round um is if you were to do this again um back in two thousand and fifteen what what other vertical would you have um, tried to disrupt?
1: If I was to start another company, yeah, not dog food. Yes. Oh man. Um, I don't even know. Once I, once I had my mindset on dog, I mean, I looked at a bunch of different verticals. Honestly, one of the ways that I sort of had looked at where would make good businesses was I looked at Amazon subscribe and save. I'm a big believer mm, in yeah replenishment items so necessity items as opposed Mm -hmm. to you know there's a little bit more recession proof than any other types of items right Uh 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 things like that and also if it was subscribe and save not only is it replenishment but there's clearly margin in there that makes it um ability to disrupt and look at different industries that hadn't been changed in a while but ultimately like startups are tough regardless of Even when you're doing well, they're still tough. It's just different problems. And so, um, feeling really passionate about what you're doing, I think like I've learned that that is super, super important. Having worked in companies that I might not have had as much affinity to the product, and now working at a company where I have my dog sitting next to me every day, he was a reminder of why I'm coming to work every day. um, That passion for what you're doing is super important. So. I don't know that I could say that I'm super passionate about anything else at the moment or would have been three years ago. And it was sort of right time, right place with my dog having health issues and wanting to solve that
0: yeah yeah makes sense makes sense um i'm just looking at your similar web um it's a tool i use to assess um a lot of the sites that come on the show and there's a very nice even distribution between um you know direct traffic search and um social obviously direct is the most which indicates that you have a lot of returning customers um then followed by social and then search so so it's 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 interesting um from from this point of view
1: Thank you. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about CAC, one a thing that we obviously um, we really look at too is not just what is our paid CAC, but how much organic traffic are we doing, and what can we continue yeah. to drive that traffic? And that sort of is where we get our blended CAC from. Yeah,
0: it's just brand name search, really. That that shows a health of, of the business, you know. Yeah. Okay, um, so we're we're into the lightning round now. I'm going to ask you about five questions, and if you could use a single, you know, um, sentence to, to answer them, you know. We'll okay. Be
1: great.
0: <laughs> right. How do you hire people?
1: I look for raw talent, mm-hmm. um, intelligence, and passion. Awesome, okay. And culture fit.
0: And culture fit, okay. What are your three indispensable tools used for managing Ollie?
1: Google Analytics, (laughs) Excel, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and Zendesk, which is how we talk to our customers.
0: Awesome, okay. What's been your best mistake to date? By that I mean, um, you know, um, it's, yeah. What's been your best mistake to date?
1: Our best mistake was thinking that we needed to go with um, a tried and true pet food veterans, um, and finding out that their way of doing things was just so different from ours that we needed to chart our own path. And that has led us to extremely unique people to work with who have found solutions that someone in the traditional space may never have come up with.
0: Awesome. Okay. What's one piece of advice can you give to listeners keen on driving growth in their direct-to-consumer businesses?
1: I would say learn and study from what others are doing, but also the best thing that you can do is test and learn yourself and be extremely maniacal on the data and what the data is telling you and early indications before you sort of bet the farm on it.
0: Makes sense. Learn and test. If you could choose a single book or resources, make the highest impact in the way you view building your business and growth, which would it be?
1: My biggest resource, um, it hasn't been one, but I would say sort of my, the network of other founders that I have spoken to and amazingly how compassionate and empathetic everyone is and wanting to truly help and give advice. And I would say, don't be a, you know, don't be a lone soldier at this. It can be trialing at different points in the juncture and sort of reach out to, Um, your network and don't be inside of your head and bounce ideas off of people because likely they face similar scenarios and can shed light and give you advice.
0: Phenomenal, you know, point there um, opportunities go through people. Um, So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gabby, for for coming on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed our our conversation and I'm sure the guests would, um, would, would actually be listening to me right now up to this point. Um so um yeah, um if anybody wanted to connect with you or find out more about Ollie um, what would be the best way?
1: Sure. So they could go to myolly.com um mm-hmm. and visit our website and um, my email is just Gabby S at my dot com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. All right, cheers. Bye.
0: So that was a wrap on this week's episode of 2x e commerce. Remember you can catch me every week.